welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. In what might be the most controversial immigration news to date in 2023, The Hill reported on Friday that, quote, the State Department will switch its official font from Times New Roman to Colibri next month, end quote. To add insult to injury, in what is without a doubt the worst pun to date in 2023, Secretary of State Blinken had the audacity to write in an all-agency memo, and presumably in Calibri font, that, quote, the Times New Roman are a-changin', end quote. Okay, that was a bit harsh. I respect that pun, particularly when sung in Bob Dylan's voice. How will this affect the immigration attorney's oldest frenemy, the Department of State Country Conditions reports? Time will tell. On the other hand, apparently this change will assist individuals with certain disabilities, so I certainly cannot oppose that. So perhaps be thankful that the secretary did not choose the impeachable offense of Courier New. As to the cases this week, not many. I fear heavy weeks ahead. Before getting to the cases, I wanted to talk a bit about Capital Good Fund. Millions of families seeking to improve their immigration status face financial barriers due to the high cost of legal services. Nonprofit Capital Good Fund is working to make these resources available to all, especially those who would not otherwise qualify for traditional loans. Certified CDFI Capital Good Fund is partnering with attorneys to provide the financial services that families need. They offer affordable financing with no closing fees or down payments for those working with attorneys to move their case forward and to get attorneys out of the accounts receivable business. To learn more about the program, email immigration at goodfund.us or call 866-584-3651 and tell them who sent you. The case this week, Singh v. Garland. 
published by the Second Circuit on January 19th, 2023. This is a bit of a short decision about aggravated felony crimes of violence and attempts. And it's the only case I've got this week. Enjoy it. Mr. Singh appears to be a lawful permanent resident from the country of Guyana. But at some point he was convicted of attempted first-degree assault in violation of New York Penal Law Sections 110 and 120.10.1. The immigration judge and the BIA found the substantive completed assault offense to be a crime of violence under INA Section 11843F, meaning that Mr. Singh is removable for having attempted to commit that offense under the aggravated felony provision at INA Section 11843U. That section defines as an aggravated felony an attempt or conspiracy to commit any other aggravated felony. In this case, there appears to be no argument that New York attempt is somehow different from the federal attempt definition used at section 11843U. So the issue in this case comes down to whether the substantive offense of New York first-degree assault would match the definition of an INA section 11843F crime of violence aggravated felony, if completed. If it does, then a conviction for attempting to do so is also an aggravated felony. The Immigration Crime of Violence Statute, in turn, today, is defined by 18 U.S.C. Section 16A, the Crime of Violence Elements Clause. To match that definition, the crime, here, New York first-degree assault, must be, quote, an offense that has, as an element, the use, attempted use, or threatened use of physical force against the person or property of another, end quote. Supreme Court precedent makes clear that that term, in turn, lots of definitions here, requires, quote, intentional rather than accidental force, end quote. That it applies to, quote, violent active crimes, end quote. And that the force must be, quote, more than accidental or negligent, end quote. Indeed, unsighted by the Second Circuit here is also the Supreme Court's Bourdain decision, which would appear to require force above recklessness as well. So, what does the New York crime require to convict? Well, under New York Penal Law Section 120.10.1, a quote, person is guilty of assault in the first degree when, with intent to cause serious physical injury to another person, he causes such injury to such person or to a third person by means of a deadly weapon or a dangerous instrument, end quote. As the Second Circuit explained, this definition of the required harm is the same as, or actually requires even more force than does New York second-degree assault. And according to the panel, the Second Circuit has twice held second-degree assault to be a crime of violence. That's a big problem for Mr. Singh's position. If case law already has held that second-degree New York assault is a crime of violence, how could first-degree assault not be? And in fact, for this reason, the Second Circuit held that the completed first-degree assault is a crime of violence, making an attempt, as convicted here, an aggravated felony under INA Section 101A43U. Again, that aggravated felony statute makes it an aggravated felony to attempt to commit any other aggravated felony. To avoid this conclusion, Mr. Singh argued that New York first-degree assault does not, in fact, require sufficient force to make it a crime of violence. According to Mr. Singh, nowhere in the statutory text are the words physical force used. A literal, textualist-type argument. 
But the Second Circuit also went back to the statutory text and to the court, quote, the intent to cause serious physical injury, particularly in combination with the deadly weapon or dangerous instrument element, necessarily encompasses the use of violent force required under Section 16A, end quote. End of story to the court. Mr. Singh therefore lost his case. Two final things. This issue I'm about to talk about is undiscussed and moot in this case because the aggravated felony at issue was technically INA Section 101A43U. However, if DHS had not charged Mr. Singh as removable under the attempt aggravated felony statute and had instead brought only a direct crime of violence charge under INA Section 101A43F, there would be a strong argument that Mr. Singh would not be removable because of the Supreme Court's Taylor decision last year, which, as I read it, very strongly supports an argument that attempt convictions are not crimes of violence in and of themselves. As I read Justice Gorsuch's words, attempts don't require violent force. DHS must have charged Mr. Singh correctly here in the notice to appear, but they don't always do so, and don't forget that the regulations and other rules bar immigration judges from amending the NTAs themselves. Finally, on the first page of the decision, the court notes that it originally issued this decision in unpublished form in November, but that oil later moved for the decision's official publication. Presumably, oil did so because it believed that the decision created law favorable to oil and the U.S. government at the expense of non-citizens in removal proceedings. Indeed it does. Perfectly permissible for oil to do. Consider doing it yourselves, non-citizens counsel, when you achieve your own unpublished victories. And that is Singh v. Garland. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official immigration review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review. And send us a tweet, at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.